M&K Talk YA now presents Siege and Storm Part 2 of the Grisha Trilogy by Lee Bardugo. Ahoy, matey! We're MNK Talk YA. <laughs> and I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is a podcast where we talk all about young adult fiction. And today we're finishing up Siege and Storm by Lee Bardugo of the Grisha trilogy, or whatever we call it. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> whatever the series is called. Is that what inspired your Ahoy, matey intro? It did, because there is a pirate in this book. There's a, pr- a pirate prince in this book. It's pretty much the best of both worlds. Yeah, you can be like, you know, go off and have your fun and then inherit a kingdom when you're sick of being a pirate. Yeah, I have new career aspirations and it is pirate prince. You what? <laughs> That's my new career aspiration, to be a pirate prince. A pirate prince. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I grow up, I-, I would really like to do that. Although we are not even sure what is going on with him right now. Is he alive? Nikolai? Yeah. Yeah! He, he might have gotten out. He might not have. We lost a lot of people. He kind of like jumped ship, so to speak, whenever all the fighting broke. <laughs> he jumped into a ship and flew away, hopefully. I guess. I kind of was mad that he just like left everyone behind and was like, yeah, bye, I gotta take care of my parents, but I'll come back. Maybe. We'll see. I think that's one of those tricky things about being a ruler, though. Like, you have this, like, responsibility to survive in a different way. Yeah. You kind of have to have a lot of self-preservation, right? Yeah. Because you're, like, you know, inheriting your kingdom, and and now that his brother is not there anymore to take that role, it's even more so. (laughs) I'm so glad. Like, I'm not not so glad. But his brother is the worst. (laughs) He's just so stupid. Stupid, and that's what doesn't make sense. It's like, how can Nikolai be? Well, I guess that he's had a lot more experience than Vasily has, but it's just so weird to see these two extreme brothers. One is just like dumber than a box of rocks, and the other one is so capable. And they're like the entire time you're thinking their roles need to be reversed. Like Nikolai needs to inherit, and Vasily just needs to go off with his horses. Yeah, except it's like it must be something in the father's blood because it sounds like the king is the same way. So he probably never hold held Vasily to any kind of standard for, you know, he needed to be prepared to rule the kingdom. He saw his dad, like, be such a slacker. Yeah, and maybe also it's why Nikolai isn't the king's son. Yeah. I wonder who his dad is. Do we know? No, we we don't know who the Darkling's dad is, and we don't know who Nikolai's dad is. I have a theory about the Darkling's dad. Oh, tell me. What if it's... Mor- Morzova. What's his name? Mor- Mor- the Saint. Oh, Ilya Morzova, the first Grisha fabricator. Yeah, maybe that's why he had his journals and why he knows all about this amplifier stuff. That's actually a really good theory. Except I have no idea. about Because like, I'm also so confused about how old he actually is and when this Saint guy was supposed to be around. But that's my theory. Well, the Darkling's like hundreds of years old, so and so is Morzova, so that could work. And maybe he saw his dad like with all these amplifiers, and that's why he's really driven to collect them because his dad created them. Or did he create them? I don't remember. Well, yeah, and it also sounded like Morzova was the other one who dealt in the Murzas black or, ma- or yeah, whatever the that black magic. Yeah, um, and so I was wondering if maybe that's how he learned about it, or even 
why his mom is like so against it. Like if the saint guy went off the deep end at some point, maybe she's like seen it happen before. I don't know. I just like, that's my only theory, but. Well, there are some short stories that are associated with this series. And I think one of them is like a prequel to the Darkling story. So maybe we'll get a bit of a backstory if we choose to read the, the short little novellas. That sounds great. I also, there was an interview in the back of my book and um, whoever was, I don't even know who was doing the interview, but he asked Lee Verdugo, am I saying her name completely terribly? No, I think so. Okay. Verdugo? Yeah. Yeah. Um, What can we expect from the third book? No spoilers, please. And she said, um, number one, not everyone is going to survive. (gasps) Oh no. Number two, those who do will be much changed. Oh no. Do you think Nikolai's going to die? I don't know. And number three, yes, you will learn the Darkling's true name. Despite the internet rumors, it is not Hubert. I didn't know there were internet rumors about it being Hubert or if that was just a joke. But um, So that gives me, we might hear more about his background, which made me think, oh, maybe we'll hear more about his dad, which made me think, oh, maybe there's a connection there. Plus, like the journal, like just a couple other things. I was like, maybe. Well, yeah, because he has to have a name at some point. You can't, you can't just be born the Darkling. Like you can't name a, a baby that. Well, that's what, because isn't the Darkling, all, even though it's always been him, a title because people think it's been several Darklings? Correct. Yeah. So who was he before? And maybe something happened that made him become who he is. It'll be interesting. I hate waiting. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like couldn't wait. After literally within 24 hours of finishing the last episode, I had finished the book. I know, because you texted <laughs> me. You texted me like the next day and I had just gotten to work and it was like seven o'clock in the morning and I was like, what? <laughs> I literally, like as soon as we hung up, I was like checking the, my bookmark or something and I was like, I'll just read a chapter and then I like kept reading. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I think, I think this is my favorite series that we've done so far. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I feel like it's the one that I knew the least about going in. Like all the other ones I had either like heard a lot about or like heard me talk about. Yeah. Or had a good friend who read it. So I like already had high expectations. This one, I was actually really nervous going into it because I, even though I like knew people were reading and talking about it, I didn't really know anything about it. Yeah. I just knew that it had a really big fan base. Wait, do they have a name? Wait, I forget. I I was looking for it today, and I couldn't find anything, so I think we're going to have to come up with one ourselves. Okay. Let's talk about that next week. I need need time to let that process. I know. I was was trying to think this week of what we could be, and everything I thought of was just so dumb. (laughs) You have to share one of them now. Oh, God. um... Or you can save it for next week. You have (laughs) to share a dumb one. All right. The dumbest one that I thought of was the Amplifollowers. I kind of like it, actually. No, it's terrible. I can do better. What do they call the, like, cult that follows her again? Oh, um... Do they have a name? I... Oh, you know what? I researched cults for my, um, for my research this week, so I feel like I should know that. Is it the the followers of the sun or the cult of the sun summoner? Some... Yeah. I feel like it's something like that. I think I can remember, because the other, um, big thing that happened was Tolia and Tamar are members of this cult. Which did not shock me at all. I was like, I was like mad that I didn't, I felt like I was so close to putting that together, but I hadn't actually had that thought yet. But it was like the last piece of a puzzle. Because they were both talking about, like I definitely thought they both thought she was a saint. Really? That caught me completely by surprise, as usual. Well, because you remember when she was in the, was it the chapel or the library or something? 
and she felt like wait, which one's the guy again? <laughs> yeah, um, Tolia or Tolia? No, Tamar's the girl, right? Yeah. Um, and she like placed her hand on Tolia because she felt like he needed her to. Do you remember that scene? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That part. And then also the earlier conversation with Tamara where they were, like, talking and she was kind of like, some people call you a saint, you just described saving the world, you know, that conversation, I forget exactly how it went, but she was like, I'm not a saint, I'm just trying to, like, stop the darkling and fix the country and make everybody happy, and she's like, same difference. Right, and, yeah, and she also says something about, um, someone is, like, mocking the, the Sun Summoners, and, and he was, I don't know, they were making fun of them, and she was like, faith is a really strong tool, or something like that, or she was like, or it's just faith. So it, yeah. it did make it sound like she, I don't know if she or he said it, but it did make it sound like they were more religious. They're yeah. called the Sun Soldiers. Sun Soldiers. Yeah. And then also, I when they were in at the fortune-telling party, yeah. where she ran into the apparat. Did I get that right? Uh-huh. Oh you did. I didn't even have the notes in front of me. I lost that page where I wrote it down. Finally. But I, when they were like, who could have told? I was like, it had to be one of the twins, because they were the only ones who knew. But then I kind of, I didn't think it was, at that point, I didn't put it together that they were like part of the... And I missed the clue that they found her there because they were already there when she was out front of the city. Yeah. I totally missed that. As usual, I am oblivious to everything and never see anything coming until it's, until it happens. (laughs) Uh, I was so mad though that they didn't have a better, I felt like they were so ready for the Darkling to come. I wanted it to be more of like a fair fight. And especially since they spent all that time fabricating those weapons. You know, like, David was working on the mirrors, and they had, you know, that ammunition, and it was, they worked so hard, and then he just, like, obliterated them. I know, and so many of them are dead. It was just, it was really sad. Oh my gosh, I know, like, Marie and Fedor, and, I mean, I I thought it would be a little bit more, yeah, I thought it would be a little bit more even. I guess she said when she was, Lee Bardugo said when she was writing the final battle scene, it ended up being like a hundred pages and it got completely out of control and she had to stop. She had to like cut it short. Mm-hmm. And she said originally um, in in one version, Vasily was going to kill Nikolai and then Alina was going to be framed for his murder. And then she was like, on second thought, I don't think Nikolai would stand for that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So she changed it. But yeah, the battle scene was supposed to be a lot longer, I guess, and she had to edit it down. It was like, I felt the chaos. I was, it was like, I couldn't even think. It was so fast. They were so outnumbered and it was just so sad. You really felt the fear too of like these winged birds or creatures, whatever, that are just so wrong to begin with because they shouldn't even exist. Like it goes against all of their natural laws that they're even there. And it's just like, it's a weapon that they can't defend themselves against at all. And I'm so, I'm just so mad at Vasily. Like what was he? He just wasn't thinking at all. And I'm so kind of, I'm so kind of confused. I keep reminding myself, like the Darkling had really a small group of people. So once they got Mm -hmm. through, they could move relatively unseen until they got to the castle, I guess. Because mm-hmm. part of me is like, they still should have spotted the army before it got there. But I guess it wasn't guess a big a small group. Yeah. What do you think about Jenya? Oh my goodness. Ugh. Also, I, I got her name right, right? Yes, you did. Yes! <laughs> you are two for two, Katie. <laughs> Let's keep this going. <laughs> um, so did he set the bird things? 
What did I, oh, the Nichivoya. Did he set them on her as punishment for letting Alina escape? Because it seemed like she stayed, Jenya stayed with the Darkling. And so I would have thought he would have like rewarded her for being loyal. But instead he had her ruined, like not ruined, that's mean. He had her um, attacked by these creatures. Well, when you think about how much of her identity is her appearance, she definitely feels ruined and other people perceive it that way, even though obviously there's more to her than that. But why did he do it? But yeah, I mean, I think he must have known that she let Alina go. And I think he also felt like that whatever version of friendship was still there um, was like a threat. And also like, again, ruling with fear. Yeah. Right? Like, he wants her under his control, and the best way to do that is to have her fear him. And I think also, if you think about how Alina, like, cares about all these other people so much, that was that was still a weapon to use against yeah. Alina. And, and that's how he used it, to, ta- he knew it to would talk break her, her. Yeah. And give her this idea that she everyone else is suffering for her. Yes. Yes. And also with Bagra, too, because yeah. he punished Bagra. And that was terrible, too. That was his own mother. I know. Ugh. And it was so sad when she was like, what did he do to you? And she was just like, he left me in the dark. That was sad. I, di- I definitely want to hear more about him as a kid or before. Like, I just want to, I want more. I'm excited for this short story and hopefully book three where we get more of his backstory as well. Agreed. But I will say that I am officially breaking up with the Darkling and I have no interest in him at all. And I don't want her to end up with him. And I'm taking back my crush. Because he did too many bad things in this book. No, you can't take... Because I feel like (laughs) book three has to be when we find out why he is the way he is. I know, but like, really? All the stuff... And then, oh, when he keeps appearing to Alina and like pretended to be Maul in that one scene at night when he... Okay, that was really weird. That was really weird. Especially when we found out it wasn't just her imagination. It was like... No, it was actually Really him. him. Or he was like, that was was a little weird. And then he blamed her. He was like, you called me to to you because you're lonely or some some crap like that but i think that he's just a solution like i think he really needs to believe that they to your point earlier when you were talking about like they're the only two who get each other like they're the only the ones only two of their kind yeah i think that he really needs that for himself to believe that I do. I do too. But I think that it's, I feel like it's too late for him. I feel like he's too cracked. And it, it even, I feel like even if she did end up with him, it would be too much because like, okay, remember at the end, whenever she pretends like she's giving herself to him and she's like, my power is yours. And, and your then power she, is mine. and your power is mine. Mm-hmm. I love that scene. And I feel like even if they were together, like it would be a constant battle between pushing and pulling and like trying to leech each other's power out of them it kind of reminded me also of um the young elites again yeah her and enzo yeah yeah i agree but um no i agree and i guess i don't really think that they that they should end up together but i think that the darkling isn't all bad and maybe he still deserves to be crushed on a little bit by someone somewhere like you <laughs> i thought you were gonna <laughs> say he deserves to be crushed <laughs> crushed by something <laughs> I was like yes let's crush him with a rock he probably deserves both I'll agree <laughs> I hope his evil birds eat him I hope his angry birds destroy him <laughs> so do you what do you think about Mal and Nikolai then do you want her to end up with someone else or are you just over uh, everyone I'm re- I, all right here's the thing I really like Nikolai a lot because a he's really funny yeah. and b he's really an effective leader and 
see, he really cares about his country, which is like, I mean, they're all really great qualities to have. And I think he is going, like, whenever the, um, at his birthday dinner, when the, um, the birds attack, Mm -hmm. I I need to stop saying birds. Um, (laughs) he immediately, like, jumps into action. His first thought is, like, get the king and queen secured. Like, he, he rises to the occasion so spectacularly, whereas... He's got good instincts. Yeah. Yeah, he really does. And he's not, he's very brave. Like, he has all the characteristics of a really good ruler. And I kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm really kind of liking them together. Her, him and Alina. I do too. And her and Mal are just like, I'm like kind of over it. Like, there's just, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. And they're just constantly, um. Making each other miserable. Yeah. And like not giving each other the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. And even when she told him that she was having the visions, I was like, oh, finally, like this will all come clean and she can admit to why she flinched when he tried to kiss her. And then he just walked away. Yeah. I thought there'd be a big scene. Well, they're both, they both bring out insecurity in each other instead of confidence. And I feel like a good relationship should make you feel good about yourself. And I feel Mm -hmm. like they make, they both make each other feel bad about themselves. Not on purpose or intentionally, but just the nature of all their differences and stuff. I agree. And I think that Nikolai brings out a lot of good in Alina. Yeah, I think he challenges challenges her and kind of keeps him in check a little bit at the same time. I mean, she keeps him in check, yeah. Yeah, she keeps him in check for sure. And he's teaching her a lot of good qualities like, you know, when you <clears throat> give an order, don't back down. Or like, treat every insult as something funny. Yeah. Like, she's navigating the court much with... um much more dexterity than she did at the beginning. Um, and I think that, uh, like, if she hadn't met him, there would be no way she could lead the Grisha like she's doing now. Oh, yeah. But I still feel like the destiny piece is with Mal. And I also yeah. feel like once she does whatever she wants, whatever she's going to do, like, fix the fold and kill the Darkling, if she can accomplish both of those things, I don't think she necessarily wants to, like, be queen. I think she'd like mm-hmm. to go live a normal life with Mal. I agree. I agree. But I think also she's starting to feel a sense of duty. Yeah. Especially seeing Nikolai, how he is. I mean, I think it's really starting to rub off on her saying like, you know, I have a responsibility and I I need to fix this country somehow. And I think it's frustrating to her that Mal doesn't seem to be as on board. He's just kind of following her. Yeah. And in some ways that kind of, it's so weird to think about at the beginning of the series where basically her life revolved around him and he was like, I want to be a good soldier and I want to like, like, <laughs> I want to track things. Yeah. Like, I mean, he appreciated her as a friend. I think he always did, but he didn't, you know, he didn't really care that much specifically about her or anything. Mm-hmm. And now it's like the only thing in his life is her. Because <laughs> she was taken away. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it's just like, and there's just so much petty jealousy, like, her with Alina and Nikolai and now Zoya and Mal and he's like fighting the Grisha now to I don't know prove himself I think he just feels really a little bit useless yeah I mean I feel bad for him and that's what I'm saying like she doesn't it's not really a good relationship for either one of them even though like it would be nice if it was (laughs) yeah I agree and even like when we do try to get moments where like they go to the fortune telling thing together it's like they can never have time to just be the two of them. Yeah. They can never find, get back to that moment that they really both want. I don't yeah. know. I just see them drifting so much. I know. But now they're on this journey together. Nikolai's gone. So. <laughs> That's true. And and I think almost dying brought some of it closer. Like, he ran back to save her. Like, I mean. Yeah. 
That's true. He couldn't walk away even though. And, and also just like, as much as I do like Nikolai, I think that part of Alina is worried that he just wants a, the Sun Summoner for a queen because it makes for a really good story and like looks really good. You know, because yeah. he is all about, not all about, but he cares very much for appearances and he's very clever with the way he presents himself. Yeah, he's going to have to get way more vulnerable with her yeah. to make that work. Because otherwise you'd feel like you're being used. Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. But I think he is being more vulnerable, but I think she's still having trouble seeing it. Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, I mean, especially when Vasily proposed to her, too, and it was just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. What an idiot. Uh, well, no, I mean, that was probably the smartest thing he did, except he just did it so that's poorly. <laughs> real, really bungled that one. Uh, that was funny. Uh, so did you do any research this week? I did a little bit. Um, I feel like I... I don't know. Okay, well, one thing I looked up was, like, rules about bastards and becoming king. Oh, okay. Did you hear that? Oh, my gosh. I woke up on Saturday to this horrible text. Um, Allison is in England, and she heard from one of the English people that she met there. She was just talking about the royal family, and they were like, oh, yeah, um, it's common knowledge that Prince Harry is not the son of Charles. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Apparently, it's just a rumor, but I guess um, Allison's friend said it with, like... Widely held belief. So much certainty. But I I 100% do not believe it's true. I have not heard that. And if you haven't heard it as a yeah. person I'm who like, knows more about the royal yeah. family than me... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty much proven not to be true because I, they, the person who they think she had an affair with, they didn't even meet until after Harry was born. So I feel like that is a rumor that needs to be debunked in my defense of the royal family. <laughs> but I'm curious to see what you learned. But the, the funny thing is, with things like that, like conspiracy, like conspiracy theories like that, even if they like did a DNA test and published the results, some people would be like they paid someone off, or you know, I mean, like exactly. It's like yeah. so hard to like actually debunk something like that, even with all the science and proof and facts and whatnot about a situation. So I was just, I don't even know. I was like on some <laughs> random website when I looked up like which bastards became kings or something. Um, <laughs> and so there's a list of some different. People who were like, I don't know, Edward the Martyr was briefly king of England from 975 to 978. He was probably illegitimate. Mm-hmm. His his father, Edgar I, acknowledged his younger son as the only rightful heir. But mm-hmm. um, I guess when the king died, his opinion didn't matter anymore and <laughs> Edward took over. Um, and then there were, there were like a few, there were a lot of others. So I guess like illegitimate children was pretty common. But one that I thought was most interesting that I looked into a little bit more was Paul I of Russia. Oh. So um, Peter III was his supposed father, and he was married to Catherine, Catherine the Great, or Catherine II. Okay. And... I've heard of her. Yeah. And I guess she wrote these memoirs that the crown, like, refused to have published because they thought it, like, painted the throne in a bad light. Um, I think they maybe have been published now, but, like, back in the day, they were, like, really scandalous. And she just wrote a lot about, like, kind of how lonely she was in this foreign court and how basically her husband was, like, kind of a bad ruler and she, like, tried to, like, do right by her people. And she actually, like, did a lot of great things for Russia at the time. But she also talked, there's a lot of mention about affairs she had. um, And very, there's enough, like, 
stuff said that they're not sure if she was ever um, intimate with her husband. Oh, wow. I mean, and I, don't, I didn't read the whole memoir or anything, so I don't know how likely that is. But they believe that her daughter, Anna, was fathered by, oh, I didn't read down his name, some guy who was supposed to be the king of Poland. Oh. And then her son, Paul I, was probably the son of Sergei Saltykov. I don't know who that is, but apparently he also is of Romanov blood. So even people oh, okay. who are concerned about it, um, they still believe he was a Romanov. So that's good, at least. But yeah. I just, I thought that was kind of interesting to think about, like, she felt all this pressure to have a male heir and maybe wasn't able to for whatever reason. And so she, like, knew she had to do that and she went and found a way to do it. <laughs> Oh, and so, and yeah, and so you can't really say, you know, that the king can't have kids, because that's probably not a great image for him back then. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, if you have to, if you have to have an heir, like, what are your options, really? Yeah. It kind of reminds me of The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in, like, a twisted way. But also, too, I mean, so many of those marriages were political, I mean... Yeah, and they were, like, second cousins, and he had mistress... I mean, it definitely wasn't a love marriage. It definitely wasn't... Um, it didn't even seem like they really liked each other or spent much time together. Like, she wrote a ton about how lonely she was. I guess mm-hmm. even when... I think it was her son, but maybe it was when her daughter was born. Her mother-in-law, like, sent the baby away the first 40 days it was born. So she, like, wasn't with her. Oh, my gosh. You know, just, like, all this kind of, like, really terrible, isolating stuff to be in a foreign country and expected to rule it one day or help rule it one day yeah and it it makes sense why there would be so many illegitimate children if so many women were like thrown into situations like that where it's like yeah have fun marrying the stranger and then like being in a country where you don't maybe don't speak the language and you have no friends yeah she like learned russian at some point because she was like i have nobody to talk to (laughs) like that's why she learned russian (laughs) well i know in some countries too like i think in england too i mean trying to make sure that the heirs were of noble birth was like a very, a very important thing. And I remember learning in English class and in college that um, a lot of times the royal marriages were um, witnessed. What I mean, they're um, like the consummation of the marriage had to have a witness, like just to prove that the heir was legitimate. Like <laughs> how crazy is that? Well, but then you also think when you have to have all these royal births and you're like in Europe or whatever and everyone's like already distantly related and then you're getting such a small gene pool and then it's like no wonder all these heirs were like had problems. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, there's so much like inbreeding going on. I but know. It's like Game of Thrones all over again. <laughs> another big one that shouldn't be shocking, but Elizabeth I is considered illegitimate by the Catholic Church at the time because they never recognized... Henry VIII's marriage to Anne Boleyn. So even though she was she was oh, a king, she yeah. was the ruler of England for a while. And then I guess uh, I didn't I didn't do enough research on this, so I could be lying. But even the Protestant Parliament retroactively declared her illegitimate. Whoa! Um, when they annulled the marriage, so there was like supposed to be no place for her in the succession. But obviously, when all of his other children died before they became adults, they were like. Elizabeth the first it is yeah (laughs) well I guess we're stuck with it yeah (laughs) yeah it's so it's amazing that yeah it's amazing that there weren't more problems with the royal family given how much inbreeding there was 
And then I also read that Denmark had six bastard kings in a row. Whoa. What was going on in Denmark? <laughs> and five of them are fathered by the same person. So I think they just like, it was a bunch of half brothers at least, or maybe full brothers, but kept dying <laughs> like a few years after each other. So I don't know exactly what was going on there. Oh, man. Um, and it was just one person that the queens kept going to to be like, hey, <laughs> I need another kid. Thanks. <laughs> It's that time again. Well, you know, just because it's a bastard son doesn't mean it was... I think some kings had mistresses and they would recognize the kid. You know what oh, I mean? yeah. Okay. But nice. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't do enough. I didn't do a deep dive. You know how I did like a quick scan top level. Um, but another thing that I read that was kind of interesting uh, was that the last name Fitzroy... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm just, it sounds like you have a bunch of like old dead sea scrolls in your room and you're just like <laughs> sifting through them. Because all I can hear is this like paper and it sounds like you're in some ancient library like <laughs> with all these scrolls all over your table. Oh man, I wish. That'd be really cool. Continue. What, <laughs> what about um, the last name? So in England, they used to name, Fitzroy was meant son of a king and so they would name like bastard kids. They would give them of the king, that last name. Oh, like Jon Snow or Sand or Stone in Game of Thrones. That's cool. Sure. <laughs> and then they also would, the coat of arms was marked with a, um, I can't read what I wrote, a baton, a baton sinister to mark sinister. that it was a bastard <laughs> coat of arms. <laughs> a sinister baton? What does that look like? <laughs> I'm not really sure. I should have probably, I'll send a picture <laughs> later. Oh, please do. I'm really curious to see what it looks like. <laughs> so I looked in the Bastard Kings a little bit, and then I was thinking about those, the mirrors that, uh, what's his name, David? David? Oh, yeah. Was making. And I was, like, thinking about how mirrors worked and how, if you can actually, like, the science behind making, magnifying the light and things like that. So I did, like, some random research on that. But part of the article I was reading was just about how it was talking a lot about the conservation of energy. I don't know why it started talking about this and how you can't create things like everything. Could, you can transfer energy, you know, from potential to kinetic or like, you know, electrical mm -hmm. energy makes light and all this stuff. And it just reminded me of this whole idea of the Merzost or whatever, the dark magic that the Darkling's doing or whatever yeah. it's called. Um, so I also looked that word up. Oh, what does that mean? And it, it means abomination, filth, heinousness, muck. And villain, villainry. Villainry. I can't say Ooh. that word, but... So I was like, that sounds like bad news. Yeah, that fits. I did. That's pretty well. <laughs> and then that was most of what I researched, I guess. I looked a little bit into the different ages for military. Oh, recruitments? Because we did see, um, what is it? Is it Nadia's brother who won't yep. leave when she evacuates the children? Adric. Adric. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting that, like, there's, in the U.S., there's different ages for different military branches, and there's, like, a bunch oh. of, like, rules about it. So, like, if you're, if you, to be, like, an officer versus to be a regular private versus if you've had prior service, if you haven't had prior service, there's maximum ages and minimum ages and all kinds of stuff all over the place. What's the youngest age that you can be to join the military? Okay, let me find, let me go through my scroll. Let's scroll. One second. <laughs> I've mixed them all up right now. Um, okay. After, okay. Wait. I, I, I'm confused. Oh, no. 
I'm gonna edit this part out for a second. Oh, please just leave it in. <laughs> okay. Okay, wait, no, these are maximum ages. I don't know if I have a minimum age. I think the minimum age is um, 18 for all branches and 17 with parental consent. Okay. 17, yikes. In the U.S., and it can be lower other places. And then I was also reading about some kids who, like, in World War II, tried to get into the Army as at, like, as young as 14 and a half. And, oh. like, because you could start working back then at that age. Oh, I guess so. Okay. So people were like, I'd rather go to the front and fight for my country than work in a factory or whatever. Why would anyone want to do that? I don't know. I guess, I mean, like, if you could stop Nazis or, like... Oh, man. I don't... That seems just so young. They didn't have as many war movies back then, so you probably didn't know what you were getting into as much. Yeah, that's true, I guess. And I'm I'm sure factories back then weren't, like, a real picnic either to work in, so... Yeah, I don't think so. (laughs) When you're talking about the mirror thing, there's something that uh, Lee Bardigo writes at the end of the third book, and it's called Invisibility Cloak Technology... I guess it's an actual bit of science that um, she researched to uh, when she was giving Alina her like light powers. Cool. So maybe we'll research that next week. Yeah, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's cool. That there it's- was also I don't know if your second book mine also had another short story in the back. Oh yeah, mine too. The Taylor. Yep, yep. So you had that one. I'm guessing it's about Jenya. Oh yeah, I read it. Oh. <laughs> okay, I did not. <laughs> I like. I read it, you know, I finished the book by, like, the next morning, so I had to read yeah, something else. Yeah, you had to read something. <laughs> I'm still trying to work my way through the Kingkiller Chronicles in my spare time between these books. I'm reading, like, four books at once right now, which I've never done. I've always been to, like, focus on what I'm reading and get it done. But James and I are reading Dune aloud to oh, each other. Oh, okay. Aloud? That's, that's adorable. <laughs> and then I'm reading something for this. And then I just was reading um, a book of poetry called Edge of Wonder by Victoria Erickson. And I'm reading, I don't even remember what the other one's called. I don't know, some other book that I'm like two chapters into. So I have like way too many things going on right now in my brain. I know. It, me too. It's stressing me out. Because I'm also reading The Hangman's Daughter, which is really good. I have that, but I have not read it yet. I know, you told me about it. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's it's really, really good. And there's a lot in this series, so. Um, okay, so I researched... Cults. cults. Tell me about cults. Um, <laughs> so I've, I decided to research this not only because there's a lot of cults. Well, there's one cult, I guess. There's, the <laughs> there's a lot of people in the cult. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people in the cult, yeah. Um, but also because American Horror Story is coming out in like a week, and their theme is cult. Okay. I've never watched that show. I'm very excited about it. Um, so I was starting to research cults, and I mean, there are some really famous ones like Heaven's Gates and, you know, all the Manson family, all that stuff. But I wanted to try and find ones that were a little bit less well-known. So this is from the Cosmopolitan, and I, I feel like we need to, like, start um, naming our sources because I get most of my stuff from Wikipedia, but occasionally... I do. I look at a different article. So this is from Cosmopolitan, and this is the cult of the true Russian Orthodox Church. And I I thought it was interesting because it is Russian, and it was founded in 2007 by Peter Kuznetskov. Say that name again. (laughs) Peter, I don't know. It's P-Y-O-T-R. I'm calling that Peter Kuznetsov. That's kind of a cool name. Yeah, it is. So this was like a spinoff of the of the Russian Orthodox Church, 
so this Peter guy, he was the leader and he um, was t- told them that they needed to seclude themselves, like seal themselves off in a cave because the world was ending. And so in 2007, he made them, he made 30 members imprison themselves in a cave and he told them to wait there until the world ended, which was going to happen in 2008. But like they should have... It should have tipped them off that he didn't go into the cave with them. He just, like, locked them into this cave. And so why did he do that? I don't know. I think he just, he... Did they have to, like, sign over all of their stuff to him and then go into a cave? Well, they believed that um, credit cards were satanic. So I don't... <laughs> I don't know. I then You know, I'm not convinced they're not, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> And so, oh, and so the people were just so, um, they believed in him so much that they threatened to kill themselves if authorities tried to remove them from the cave. And so there were two people who died, one from cancer and one from starvation. And then the other people stayed there, even though there were dead people in the cave with them. And then eventually the cave's roof started to collapse and they left. So how long were they in there? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. Um, Long enough for people to die from starvation and then... Um, yeah, I, I, it doesn't say. I don't know how long they were there, but can you imagine, like, believing something so much that you would essentially kill yourself? No, I can't. It's, it's bananas. And, and I'm, like, very curious how someone starts a cult. Not because I want to. It sounds bad, but... <laughs> Just Google how to start a cult. <laughs> but, like, I can't even imagine, like, I have enough trouble convincing people to, like, I don't know. Come to brunch with you? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if it was a, a YA reading cult, I guess it's just a book club. <laughs> let's start a let's let's start a book club. I call it a reading cult and see how that goes. A YA cult. <laughs> I bet we get a lot of members. <laughs> um, okay, then the other cult that I researched. This was really cool. So this is from the Thrillist. This article. So this cult is Honohana Sanpogyo, and it's a modern Japanese cult um, founded by Hogan Fukunaga and. It's known as the foot reading cult. Foot? Like foot reading, the thing yeah. You, okay. Instead of like palm reading, this was foot reading. Huh. So the founder claims to be the reincarnation of both Jesus and Buddha. Wow. And, yeah, I know. Why go for one if you can go for two? Exactly. It's like being a pirate prince. Why stop at one? <laughs> yeah. So he claimed that he could diagnose people's problems by examining their feet. And he said that people that they would die if they didn't come to get their feet examined. So he basically said, let me examine your feet. And if you don't, really bad things will happen for you, to you. And so he said that traits like short toes would indicate a short temper and fat toes meant that your life would be filled with good fortune. I'm looking at my toes right now, by the way. Um, You know what? Mine are are all evenly... um, like, they're all shorter than each other. You know how, like, some people have a longer middle toe? Yeah, my second toe is longer than all my other toes. That means something. Oh, I should have looked that up. Does that mean something good or bad? I'm going to deny let's it. Let's go with good. <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe that you have better balance. I don't know. Uh, that's it? definitely not true. I, like, fall over all the time. I know it means something. I want to look that up. Um, <laughs> they say that if you're a ballerina, it's good to have toes that are all the same length because it's easier to go up on point yeah that makes sense i can't do that so okay so the problem with the foot examinations were that he charged nine hundred dollars or the equivalent of nine hundred dollars for each examination oh wow 
Yeah. And so it was basically a, a money making scheme. So he, I guess, was had 50, 500 million yen of debt when he started this cult, which is the equivalent of $500,000. That's serious. Yeah, I know. He started the cult in 1980. And at one time he had 30,000 members who would come and get their feet read by him. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and that's just it blows my mind. I know, and especially so. Apparently, he earns um, in total f- 150 million yen from his followers, which is the equivalent of 138 thousand dollars. But they said it's probably closer to 60 billion yen. Whoa, which is about half a million. Which is about no 550 million. Whoa, dollars. So, like, when I'm thinking, how can I? get paid to do nothing or like relatively nothing should i go into foot reading yeah big money making business (laughs) so luckily he was arrested and um he was convicted of mass fraud and he was sentenced to 12 years in prison and then 15 senior cult members were also charged with fraud and convicted and i guess he may still face manslaughter charges because I, I don't know why this was part of it, but there was like a really strict initiation rite that happened on Mount Fuji, and um, two four people died, four recruits died. Oh, I know. I don't know what the initiation involved, but probably nothing good. Nothing you want to experience firsthand. No. So yeah, how crazy is that? That is crazy. If you can now go the foot reader. I um. I remembered one other illegitimate ruler story for you. Oh, good. So the son of Huyana Kapak, <laughs> whose name was Atahualapa, that's definitely not right, <laughs> became the Sapa Inca, which is like their emperor. But there is like a different idea of what's legitimate and what's not. So technically the Inca has a primary wife who okay. is called, formally, the sister. What? <laughs> His wife is called the sister? That's what it says on this okay. random article that I can't quite read the link at the bottom of, the, of my scroll. So um, I can't cite my source. But um, So those children were supposed to be the heirs, but he also had a lot of secondary wives who he chose for political reasons. Um, and Atahulpa was... The son of one of the secondary wives. So by like a strict definition, he was considered a bastard. But like in Incan tradition, it was not a big deal. Hmm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Except I realized I can't pronounce any of those words. So Oh, it's so... <laughs> Add that to the list of words we cannot pronounce. Yeah. It's... And I, I practice too. I try to practice at least before I go and read something. And sometimes it does not work out at all. Hey, at least I got apparat. Right, this time. Okay, also, wait, can we talk about him more? Or sorry, do you have more research? No, that's it. That's it. Um, The Apra. What? Okay, we've seen him again now. Still don't really know what his deal is. Yeah, he. I mean, he's definitely also using her. She seems to think he wants her dead. I'm not convinced he doesn't, but I'm not convinced he does. And he also, like, I, I can't tell if he's being purely manipulative leader or if he almost seems so zealous himself that he like really believes this. So I'm kind of curious a little bit more if he's just trying to gain power and taking advantage of all these people and doesn't really think she's a saint or if he also like believes that. I feel like, all right, here's what I think. I think that he 
realizes that if he gains a lot of followers to this sun cult, that he's going to have a lot of people under his control. Maybe not directly, but kind of like secondary. And the thing about saints is that mostly, most of the time they die and become martyrs. So I feel like he needs her right now, but he doesn't really need her in the long run because... Well, and that's what she keeps saying. It's yeah. easier to have a dead saint that he can say whatever he wants about than to have her like doing her own thing in front of him. Or, so I, I, I'm worried he's going to kill her or somehow arrange for her to die mysteriously. And then he'll have this group of sun worshippers that he can control. But I feel like Nikolai would step in and stop that, even if his dad didn't, you know? Yeah, but the apparat is against the crown right now, so it's not like Nikolai can step in anyways. Right now, it seems like the Dark Queen is probably in charge. Of what? Oh, yes, of this, of the small, the little palace. Yeah, and Ravka, really. Ravka, <laughs> I guess. And Nikolai is hopefully alive and on the run, but hopefully... Regrouping. Hopefully he's now the next in line for the throne. I mean, like, hopefully the king is dead. I'm kidding. But, um... Do you think the question of his um, legitimacy will come up, though, if he tries to stake a claim to the throne? I think if he, it depends on how everyone rules, right? So I think if the Darkling rules the way we kind of think he's going to rule right now, if Nikolai can like free the kingdom from him, no one's going to complain. Yeah, that's true. If the if the Darkling rules in a way that like grants favor to certain people and people are happy, even if the peasants aren't happy, um, I think he'll have a tougher time. And I think it also depends on how the apparat fits into this whole political situation because i kind of feel like there's three teams right now yeah there's team apparat team nikolai and team darkling which one are you on (laughs) (laughs) team nikolai obviously no i'm just kidding but i mean the apparat has the sun summoner but i don't think she's on his side i don't think she wants what he wants i know and i'm so worried that they're just kind of like stuck down there and underground it kind of remind me of that russian cult they're like trapped in a cave yeah i was kind of confused Fused by how long they were in there at the end. Like, was it just... I think they. she just woke up and she was there. Okay. But, I mean, it's going to take a while, I think, for them to regroup and form a strong enough army that they can go back and try and face the Darkling. Yeah. Well, also, what do you think, now that she's, like, used the Darkling's power through him, do you think she's going to, like... Well, she looks different, right? She's got, like, the white hair and... Oh, yeah, her hair turned white. All this stuff. Do you think she's also going to have any new abilities that will make her more of an even match? I don't know, because right now she's having trouble calling her power at all. Oh, yeah, that's true. I forgot. Yeah, you're right. I feel like she needs to just heal for a little bit and then... And get the firebird. I forgot. She still hasn't gotten the firebird. Oh, the firebird. Maybe she'll get that and it'll be, and then she'll be even more powerful and then she can stop him. But I hope that we we see her being able to tap into his powers more because that would be really cool if maybe she can learn to create the bird. It would be cool if she could make like, yeah, light birds versus dark birds. <laughs> light nothings versus dark nothings. Maybe. I mean. I also, I'm very excited to see her first real interaction with Genya. 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 Oh, you had it the first time. I know. I overthought it. (laughs) To see their first interaction, like, now. Like, now that she's kind of suffered the Darkling's wrath and is now sort of on their side, but hasn't really actually done it. You know, like, I'm just kind of curious to see that interaction now that they kind of 
it's all out in the open. Well, I think the nice thing is that um, Alina's already defending her. So I think she is very, I think she's going to welcome her back unequivocally. I think. No, I think, I think it's still going to be a hard conversation. Like, I think she doesn't want, I think she still cares about her and doesn't want anything bad to happen to her, but I don't think she's going to be like, oh, it's fine that you like lied to me and took advantage of me for all this. Like, I think they need to have a tough conversation still. Yeah, I guess so. I'm just curious to see that. I think they're going to get through it. I just want to see that interaction. I hope she ends up with David. It sounds like they're heading that way. She has to. It sounds like David's more into her than he was in the first book. Yeah, I agree. Because he seems to, like, kind of notice and care and be helpful right now. Well, also, he's had that moment, too, where he helped enslave Alina, essentially, by putting that collar on her. And I think he's starting to feel guilty. And it's kind of... And especially, too, like, now that... I really liked how the Grisha and the second army are... Or the first army are interacting more and becoming there's like a new camaraderie between them and I think that's really helped get um some of the fabricators kind of out of their workshop and interacting with people more especially David yeah uh because that was I mean that was so smart of Alina to step in and say like no more clicks everyone's eating with each other and you know the first army and second army are going to come together and fight and I feel yeah, there there is this culture change of like more. We're all on the same team. How team do we zero. work together? Yeah, team yeah. zero. Yeah. That's what they call themselves. I know. I forgot, but it was just funny to say to say out loud. Yeah, very very smart, and I think that has helped David tremendously, like to come out of his shell. Yep. Any other predictions? I already told you my Darkling Dad prediction. I know you have so many good predictions, and they always come true. Mine. Um, I think that. She's going to find the firebird. I'm probably, I feel like I always get my predictions partially right. It's probably going to turn out the Dark Lane actually is Morzova. That should be my ending prediction. (laughs) That's a really good prediction, too. I think Nikolai is going to become king, and (laughs) that's like a really obvious prediction. (laughs) And I think maybe Alina is going to try and learn how to create the birds. The Nichivoya. That's my guess. That sounds good. Who do you think is going to die? Because one of the things... Oh, yeah. There's a death. There's at um, least a death. Gosh. Do you think Elena dies? No. Well, I don't know. Because maybe... I remember I said in the beginning, um, maybe she has to die in order to give up her power. Because she kind of almost did at the end of this book. But that's my, that is why it makes me think it's not going to happen in the second book. Because she like almost drains herself to kill the Darkling. Like to bring both of them down together. Uh-huh. And I... And I thought, like, oh, that would be an interesting way to end the book completely if she uses their power to destroy both of them. But since it already happened in the second book, I don't know if she'll use that plot point again. Yeah. Do you think the Darkland will die, though? Mm, I don't know. I mean, he could... There's two... I, I think either they both die or neither one of them dies. I don't think there's, like, a good triumph over evil and the, like, Alina lives and he dies. I just can't see him having this, like moment where he repents and is redeemed and lives a normal life i just think he's too far gone so yeah i think he's gonna die i think i think he's not gonna die oh okay do you want to bet do you want to place bets what are we, I, how much do you want to bet oh how about whoever wins gets to pick the next book okay <laughs> well okay i think though i think if alina dies the darkling dies and i think if alina lives the darkling lives i think they have the, i think their fates are entwined oh so it's either they both die or they both live yeah. Okay. I'm going to bet that the Darkling dies and Alina lives. Okay. Done. Should we talk about the next book in a series? Yes, please. Do you have it? I to do. Read to us? 
I do. So this um, third book in the trilogy, last book, it's called Ruin and Rising. Um, and we are going to read up to chapter 10. So when you see chapter 10, stop reading. If you can. And come listen to us. <laughs> it's going to be tough. Um, and I will read the back of the book for you. There's also bonus content inside this one. Yay! Oh no! Okay. Soldier summoner saints in the final battle who will rise. The capital has fallen and the Darkling rules Ravka from his shadow throne. Now the nation's fate rests with a broken sun summoner, a disgraced tracker, and the shattered remains of a once great magical army. Deep in an ancient network of tunnels and caverns, a weakened Alina must submit to the dubious protection of the Apparat and the zealots who worship her as a saint. Yet, her plans lie elsewhere, with the hunt for the elusive firebird and the hope that an outlaw prince still survives. Alina will have to forge new alliances and put aside old rivalries as she and Mal race to find the last of Morozova's amplifiers. But as she begins to unravel the Darkling's secrets, she reveals a past that will forever alter her understanding of the bond they share and the power she wields. The Firebird is the one thing that stands between Ravka and destruction, and claiming it could cost Alina the very future she's fighting for. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I can't wait. I'm going to go read it right oh, now. Oh, I know. Wait. But first, you have to tell me a dad joke. Okay. Well, so I was trying to think of like a time, like a topical joke. Um, so have you heard the Labor Day joke before? <laughs> the Labor Day joke? No. <laughs> I don't know what it does. It doesn't really work for me. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I walked so... right into that, too. <laughs> it was like the the one and only Labor Day joke that... <laughs> I was, like, practicing how to say it in a way that would, like, make it... Make you walk into it. Though. Well done. Well done. Uh, I love it. I also... So I have this book of, like, words and other languages that don't have that you, like, can't translate but capture an idea or something. Mm-hmm. And there's this Indonesian word, J-A-Y-U-S, J-A-Y-U-S. And okay. it refers to a joke that is terrible and so unfunny <laughs> that you cannot help but laugh. And oh I was God. like, those are my favorite jokes. That's every joke we tell on this podcast. <laughs> so I thought I would share that. I'm so glad there's, a, there's like, a word that exists for that in another language. Yeah. Because we just really have dad joke, but... That's, that's really good. That's even, I, those are, yeah. When I just start laughing and you're like, that wasn't even funny, but I'm also <laughs> laughing. And on that note, bye bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.